When you go remodeling things that don't need remodeling. You see, at the end of the day, folks, who owns the church? Jesus. The church belongs to Jesus. Well, let me ask you a question. Have you ever seen a remodeling job gone bad? Anyone? Oh, a couple of hands. Yeah. Well, I have a couple of pictures I'd like to show you. And uh, these are pictures of modeling, remodeling jobs that went south. All right? So let's see if we can show that first picture. Put that up, would you please? There we go. Now, can anyone see what's wrong in this picture? <laughs> yeah, looks good to me, right? Yeah. How do you open the fridge door? You see? The way they have that remodeled. That's a weird one. I'll show you another one. This one's real, real cute. Some home handyman. Yeah, brother, brother Randall is our uh, resident electrician, and he would, he would get a kick out of that one there. Now, that could be his and hers. I'm not sure. But it doesn't look very good. Now, here's another one here that I thought was a dandy. How about that for a remodeling job? Hmm? Would you like to come home to that? That? looks like a cage something like that so not too sure about that this last one though I I don't know you you tell me <clears throat> now personally I think that that's a bit of a joke that one but uh, I don't know I could be wrong I hope it's a joke I hope that no one in their right mind did that well, over the last 40 years of my life, I've been involved in a few remodeling jobs and not all of them went the way I, I wished they would and I'm not going to talk about those because they're too discouraging. But uh, one thing I did see in the news this past week, a couple living over in England, they had bought themselves a house that was built, I think, in the 1700s and it was a real old house, and they were living in there for a number of years. They decide to remodel their kitchen. And so they're pulling up the baseboard, and they found this box. And they open it up, and there's 264 gold coins. They're 400 years old, out of the days of, of uh, King James I, when the King James Bible was written. And they somehow ended up there and lost and forgotten. Well, they're the new owners 264 gold coins worth about $400,000 in around that. So they're going to sell the coins. Um, so that may have been a, a happy, that'll pay for their remodeling job, that's for sure. And uh, that, that sounds like it was a happy job. But here's the question, folks. What happens when people start remodeling things that don't need to be remodeled? How about that? Now, Close to where my wife and I live, the city decided that they were going to remodel this intersection of two quiet streets. And so we've lived there about 19 years. They decided they were going to put a roundabout at the intersection of two quiet streets. And we've lived there all those years. And in our opinion, we don't think that it needed to be remodeled. We don't think there was anything wrong with it. It was just fine. It did not need a quarter million dollar roundabout project. 
In fact, the roundabout doesn't actually fit the intersection. You really have to go, you know, awkward angles and it causes frustration for people and we've seen a few tire marks right over it already. This morning we looked and saw and someone painted an elephant on part of it. So it's not going over too well. Uh, our opinion is if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But that's just our opinion. However, today we're going to be looking at three of the worst remodeling jobs in the Bible. And yes, people remodeled back then too. These three jobs we're going to look at did not need remodeling. But there were people who thought they would go ahead and do it anyhow. They thought they would change things. Maybe they thought they would make them better. But they turned into disasters. And we're going to look at those three today. So have your Bible ready. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for a word of prayer first, shall we? Our loving Father, we thank you we have a Bible. Without the Bible, oh, what would we do? We wouldn't know right from wrong. We'd have no standard that we could go to, to answer questions or, or settle discussions or to get instruction or to get comfort or to find the presence of God and the peace of God or to find salvation. Thank you that we have such a wonderful book called the Bible. Please teach us today. Dear Father, I pray that you would please help anyone today, here or watching online, who's under a heavy burden. Lord, I pray you would give them grace and wisdom and do something special for them. Help us all to learn the lessons the Bible has for us today. And we'll be careful to thank and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, folks, if you're ready, I'm ready. Let's take a look at our very first bad remodeling job in the Bible. And so we're going to look at a godly nation that was remodeled into a nation of idol worshipers. So for this, we're going to go to the Old Testament, to the book of 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 12. And if you're using the Pew Bible... It's page 406 in the Pew Bible, if that helps. 1 Kings chapter number 12. And I'd like you to see this, verse 26. Uh, we'll start here in verse 26, and we'll just read down a few verses, okay? So 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 26. And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now shall the kingdom return to the house of David. If this people go up to do sacrifice in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then shall the heart of this people turn again unto their Lord, even unto Rehoboam, king of Judah. And they shall kill me and go again to Rehoboam, king of Judah. Whereupon the king, that means Jeroboam, the king took counsel and made two calves of gold. Now, those are like baby cows, for anyone who doesn't know what a calf is. Uh, and, and they were made out of gold. And said unto them, it is said unto the people, that is, it is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. Pause there. Can you imagine? This guy had gumption. The, the, the nerve of him saying this over and over the Lord God told his people I am the Lord God that brought you up out of the land of Egypt and here's King Jeroboam now telling the northern half of Israel 
These be thy gods that brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. Verse 29, and he set the one in Bethel, that's the city of Bethel, and the other put he in Dan, that's the city of Dan, and this thing became a sin for the people went to worship before the one even unto Dan. You know, it's a sad, sad day when the nation Israel got itself into a civil war. That's exactly what happened here. It divided itself into two two halves, the north against the south. King Solomon's son was named Rehoboam. And you would hope that with a smart father like Solomon, you would rub off on the son and he would be smart. But his son Rehoboam wasn't smart at all. In fact, he was a bit of a know-it-all. He was full of pride and stubbornness. It's sad, but he refused to be a humble, loving leader of his people. And so the people rebelled. They rebelled, and the once great nation of Israel split in two, the north and the south. Now that's where Jeroboam comes in. He's the new leader of the north, the northern tribes. And uh, so he decides to remodel the northern nation in order to keep them away from going back to Jerusalem in Judea in the southern half of Israel. And so Jeroboam, he remodeled the northern Israel into a nation of idol worshipers. He changed their religion in order to keep them separate and away from uh, the rest of Israel. Now it's sad, but over time, even the southern half of the nation Israel got into idol worship. So north and south, both, got into idol worship. The whole nation of Israel remodeled itself badly into a nation of idol worshipers. Now I'd like to say that civil war in a nation or in a church or in a home is usually not a good idea. But remodeling one's religious beliefs to take us away from the one and true living God is terrible. It's a horrible, terrible idea to go into idol worship. Uh, By the way, so also is becoming an evolutionist. You know, there are many young people raised in godly homes who go off to worldly colleges and universities and then come back home as an evolutionist. They no longer believe the Bible. And even worse, some of them come back as atheists as well. That's sad. Usually it's the old story of convictions lightly held are easily abandoned. And that's pretty true. If you hold something very lightly, you'll be more apt to release it quickly. And that seems to be the case with Israel. They were easily led into idolatry because they didn't hold fast. They didn't hold hard and tight onto the Lord God. And so they held loosely and they were easily led, both north and south, into idolatry. This job of remodeling is far, far worse than the worst handyman who ever swung a hammer and ruined a construction project. This is horrible. But, folks, listen to me. Israel was not the only nation to abandon the one true God, to depart from God. Back in 1867, Canada had its birth 
as a nation separate from England. Canada went and chose Psalm 72 verse 8 as the theme. He shall have dominion from sea to sea. And we called ourselves the dominion of Canada. Our sense of morality was based upon the Bible. The capital of Ontario was known as Toronto the Good. A place where streetcars did not run on Sundays. A place where the mayor of Toronto flew a banner that read these words, Except the Lord build the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. When Canada entered World War I in 1914, many, many of the 620,000 soldiers who signed up were motivated by their Christian faith and belief in their heart that enlistment was their way of serving God. The newspapers of Canada, um, the monuments in Canada, and the poets in Canada equated the the 67,000 Canadian deaths in World War I, they equated those deaths with that of Jesus on the cross. You know, even after World War II in 1945, Canada had about 12 million people. That was the population. And a Gallup poll reported that 67% of Canadians still attended a worship service once a week. Isn't that amazing? Yes, there was a time when God was honored right here in Canada. People went to church on Sundays. They even read their Bible at home. We closed our stores on Sundays. But in the 1960s, things started to change and quite drastically. As a nation, we began to remodel our religion into humanism. And that means simply, man takes over, God is set aside. God is no longer supreme, man is supreme. That is humanism, the basis of humanism. You know, there are very few evidences today of God left in our nation. One, however, still exists, as far as I know it does, anyhow, and that's the 32nd prayer that opens up the session of Parliament. This daily prayer marked the beginning of official business at the House of Commons since 1877. It's led by the Speaker of the House, and he invites all the MPs that wish to join to stand and worship. Um, According to the rules of Parliament, no official business, debate, or deliberation may begin in the house until the daily prayer has been recited. And I want to read you that daily prayer. Almighty God, we give thanks for the great blessings which have been bestowed on Canada and its citizens, including the gifts of freedom, opportunity, and peace that we enjoy. We pray for our sovereign, Queen Elizabeth, and the Governor-General, I'm just pausing here. You can see that the prayer has been updated slightly over the years. Guide us in our deliberations as members of Parliament and strengthen us in our awareness of our duties and responsibilities as members. Grant us wisdom, knowledge, and understanding to preserve the blessings of this country for the benefit of all and to make good laws and wise decisions. Amen. That's the 32nd prayer that I think still exists. But I'll tell you what, 
Humanists and atheists are hard at work trying to eliminate that prayer, which is one of the last evidences of God in our nation. Folks, we desperately need a revival in Canada. We absolutely desperately need God to be honored and worshipped once again. We need to be praying daily that it would please God to give revival to Canada. That thousands, yea, hundreds of thousands, yea, millions would come to know Christ as Savior. We have 37 million people in this country now. How many are saved and on their way to heaven? How many are still lost and on their way to hell? And it's a reality, folks, because that's how God sees a nation. Folks, we need to pray and ask God to send a revival. Listen, that's, that's the reason why we started our Bible college, was so that we could help try to reach our nation. The Bible college had its uh, beginning of its 10th year last week on Thursday. So the students are into the books in the classes this week. Pray for the Bible college. Pray for revival in Canada. Pray for our Bible college as well. Well, we have to move on for our second terrible remodeling job in the Bible. And we're going to look at the temple in Jerusalem that was remodeled into a home for crooks. Imagine that. For this, we're going to go back to the New Testament, to the Gospel of Matthew and chapter number 21. Matthew chapter 21. And that's page 1016, 1016 in the Pew Bible, if you're using one of the Pew Bibles. Page 1016. Matthew 21. Now, I would like you to help me read this, would you please? So Matthew 21, and we're going to read two verses. Verse 12 and 13. Folks watching online, we'd like to invite you to read along with us. Don't let us do all the work. Join in with us and read verse 12 and 13. Okay, folks, let us begin and read now. And Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves and said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer but ye have made it a den of thieves. I think most of us have heard those words somewhere before, haven't we? Isn't that something? Wow. Did you know that starting way back with Moses in the wilderness, God planned for the tabernacle, that was the tent. That's what it was called back then. The tabernacle and later the temple when they had the, the physical structure all built. God's plan was that this should be a place where God would call home, where people could come and worship God, where God could be found. And in fact, God publicly showed His presence in the Old Testament by putting a cloudy pillar of smoke above the tabernacle and later above the temple. And when people could looked in the distance, they would see this cloudy pillar. That told them God was at home. 
I've never been to England. I would like to go one day. But I understand that Balmoral Castle is the home of the Queen, Queen Elizabeth. And there's a flagpole sitting on the top. And when the Queen is in residence, they raise the flag to the top so that all may know the Queen is home. The Lord God had a cloudy pillar above the temple so that all would know God is at home. God's plan was that His house should be home to Him. I think that that's what what it's all about. Prayer to God was one of the highlights of the temple. But as the centuries wore on, the Jewish people, they got more interested in idol worship. Now, we already saw that, didn't we? The first horrible remodeling job was the nation remodeled itself into a bunch of idol worshipers. So the Jewish people got more involved in idol worship and finally God could take it no longer and he had the temple destroyed. He had his people carried off and they were, uh, at least the, the southern part of Judah and so on, they, they were taken to Babylon for 70 years. Finally, they returned back to Israel to Jerusalem, they rebuild the temple and they never got involved with idol worship ever again after that. But, money and business started becoming more important to them than God. And I'll tell you, when Jesus Christ came, He looked around and saw what had become And he made this pronouncement upon the Jewish temple and the people. Look at it again in verse 13. And he said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer. Now read these words out loud with me. But ye have made it a den of thieves. What a ghastly, horrible job of remodeling this was. The temple of God the house where God was present, they remodeled it into a home for crooks. Isn't that one of the most horrible jobs of remodeling you've ever heard of? You know, when you take away prayer and you take away dependency upon God, it isn't long before God Himself is set aside. Humanism takes over. When God is set aside, people usually get more interested in worldly things. And that's when the love of money can take over in people's hearts. And before you know it, our homes, our churches, we become a den of thieves. When money, the love of money, takes over. You know, this is one reason why I stand against people doing business in the church on the Lord's Day. In the past, I know we've had some people come to our church for the sole purpose of finding customers. They've been involved in some business, be it a multi-level marketing or some other kind of business, and they've come to church to find business, to find customers, to make money. And you may disagree with me, but that's a stand I take against. 
I'm not taking a stand against Christians being in business. I think that's wonderful. There's nothing wrong with that. That's great. But the house of the Lord is the house of the Lord. It's not the place of network marketing. We come in here to get away from the world, to put our focus on the Lord. We pray, we sing His praises, we worship Him, we preach the Word of God. You know, we raise money for missions. We see people get saved, baptized, added to the church. We see Christians getting victories. Boy, these are, these are great things. And that's the work of the Lord in the house of the Lord. I, I do believe that we have a number of people in our church that have businesses either on the side or it's their full-time business. And I say, praise the Lord. But if someone were to come to you and ask you to do business for them, I don't know, maybe you're a home handyman, maybe you're a remodeler, how about that? (laughs) Maybe you're in the business of remodeling. And they come to you at church and they say, we want you to come and remodel uh, our kitchen. Try and find some of those gold coins we've heard about or something. Do me this favor. Please wait until you leave church and then do your, your business together. Okay? No one should ever come to, to church and start handing out their business card. Here's my business, or handing out flyers on their business. There may be nothing wrong with the business. It may be a fine business. I don't know of many Christians that are not involved in good things. And so the business itself is fine, but it's the place of doing business. Folks, I don't know how you feel, but it would break my heart if Grace Baptist Church ever became a den of thieves. It would absolutely break my heart if those are the words that Jesus had to say about his church here. And so anyhow, here's, here's one, of the, one of the worst remodeling jobs. But we have our third and last regrettable remodeling job in the Bible. Now there's others, but I've only picked these three. So let's look at a New Testament church that was remodeled into a worldly showpiece. It changed and became a worldly showpiece. And for this, we'll need to go to the last book of the Bible, Revelation. Book of Revelation, chapter number 3. Now, Revelation and Genesis, by the way, those two books are pretty easy to find in the Bible. Genesis and Revelation. But if you need, it's page 1275 in the Pew Bible if you're using the Pew Bible. Page 1275. Revelation chapter 3. Now let's see here. We're going to pick up here. These these are seven letters written to seven churches in chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation. And some of them were, some of those churches were really good. Some of them were kind of eh. And this particular one was a pretty bad church. It was still a church, yeah, but it was right on the edge of not being a church. It was that bad. And it was because of worldliness. Now let's um, pick up here in verse 14. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans. By the way, the angel is a reference to the pastor of the church. So, uh, write these things, saith the Amen, and the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. 
That is a description of Jesus. Here's Jesus writing to this seventh church in Laodicea. Verse 15, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Now pause for a moment. Here's a church of people that thought they had it all together. They thought, we, we have arrived. They look around, they see others, they compare themselves with others and they say, we're rich. We're rich. We, we drive fine chariots. We wear expensive robes. We are increased with goods. We don't need anything. We've got it all. That's what they really thought. And yet Jesus saw the situation differently. He looked upon their lives, their homes, their church, and he said, you don't realize it, but you're actually wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Now think about that. The next time you're tempted to envy some unsaved person who's a multi, 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 multi something or the billionaires of the world and you think, man, they got it all and this man won the lottery and this woman, she won the next lottery and oh, look at me. Don't forget, God sees things differently. And Jesus said to this church of rich people, he said, folks, you're actually wretched, miserable, poor, blind, naked. Verse 18, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire. Now, the gold is a reference to faith. See, they, they didn't have faith. And by the way, you won't have faith either when you say, I have need of nothing. Come the day you say, I don't need anything. I got all, everything I could possibly want. Say goodbye to your faith. Your best days as a Christian were when you sometimes had to skip a meal. Or sometimes things weren't going quite as smoothly as you wish. And you had to pray. You had to get on your knees and ask God to get you through another week. Those are your best days as a Christian. Because you're strong in faith. You're depending on your Heavenly Father. And He's the one who got you through. To His praise and glory. And now, if He's blessed you with a lot of goods and wealth and health. Don't lose your faith. So they, Jesus counseled them. Buy gold, tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich. And white raiment, now that's the righteous living. Obviously they weren't doing that either. That thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve. And many Bible commentators believe it's a reference to the power of the Holy Spirit. And you know, backslidden Christians, they don't have the power of the Holy Spirit. And they're not performing works of righteousness. And they don't have a strong faith in the Lord. And that's what God is telling. Jesus is telling this church at Laodicea. Isn't that something? Then he says in verse 19, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. This church in Laodicea started as a good church. And you know something? Every Bible-believing church starts good. 
They start with good intentions. They start with good people. We don't know who the man was who started this church. But chances are it was the, uh, the Apostle Paul's disciple Epaphras. Epaphras was Paul's disciple. We know that Epaphras started the church at Colossae in Colossians chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Epaphras started that church. Laodicea was only 15 kilometers down the road and it needed a church. Chances are it was Epaphras who went down and started the church in Laodicea. And I'd like to suggest to you that when the church in Laodicea started, it started right. And they were preaching the gospel and they were winning people to Christ. And they were having church services and they were having baptisms and they were reading their Bible and having Bible studies and having prayer. But the, church, the city of Laodicea was an incredibly wealthy city. It was a center for commerce and banking. And the textile industry was huge in Laodicea. And people were getting rich overnight. And so it didn't take many years for worldliness to creep into the church of Laodicea. It remodeled itself into a worldly showpiece. You know something? Same thing's happening in churches today. The same thing is happening today. People are trying to remodel churches that don't need to be remodeled. The church of Laodicea, when it started, started just fine, thank you. It did not need to be remodeled. And people are trying to remodel churches today. They're saying the old church, it's outdated. The old church, it just doesn't relate to people anymore these days. They make that accusation. The church needs to be remodeled and so they go about trying to turn it into something new. So what do they do? Well, many churches today have replaced the song leader with a worship team in their attempt to remodel the church. The organ and the piano are out. Drums and electric guitars are in. The hymns, the hymns are passé. The hymns are for old fuddy-duddies. The hymns are gone and these new warm, fuzzy-feeling, get-happy kind of tunes are all they ever seem to sing. They exchange their pulpits for plexiglass lecterns. And the King James Bible, well, forget it. It's a dinosaur. No one can understand that, and so they throw that out, and they replace it with modern versions that water down the deity of Jesus. And they water down the necessity of the new birth. They water down the doctrines in the Bible. And of course, their preaching is more motivational speaking than it is biblical or doctrinal. They preach sermonettes. And of course, you know that sermonettes cannot produce anything more than Christianettes. You know that. 
Starting in the 1950s, the Reverend Robert Schuller became a textbook case of turning a church into a worldly showpiece. Schuller built the Crystal Cathedral down in California, and he preached about possibility thinking rather than biblical thinking. What happened? Schuller attracted thousands and thousands of people to his church. When these people would stand up to sing, fountains of water came erupting and doves were released. It was an amazing theatrical experience. Yes, Schuler built a crowd, but he didn't build a church. And it finally all went bankrupt in 2010, 12 years ago, with a debt of $55 million. In 1980, a fellow named Rick Warren started a church called Saddleback. Warren was a follower of an unsaved businessman named Peter Drucker. Warren used Peter Drucker's business methods of building a business in order to build his church. You see, Drucker focused on what worldly people want, and he was always preaching, find out what the people want. So Rick Warren built his church on that premise. And he thought, well, I want to reach worldly people, people who aren't saved. And so I'm going to go to the unsaved. I'm going to ask them, what do you want in a church? What do you want to see? And he did this survey and he came up with all these things. And so that's what he built his church on. He didn't go to the Bible and say, now what does the Bible say about how to build a church? He went to the world and said, what do you want in a church? And that's how he built his church. And he attracted a crowd of 20,000 people. In 1995, Rick Warren published a book to help others duplicate what he had done. Anyone know the title of the book? Purpose-Driven Church, yeah. Purpose-Driven Church. And a lot of churches that were struggling got a hold of this book. And I think a lot of pastors who didn't know what they were doing got a hold of this book. And they tried implementing. And they tried to follow and duplicate what Rick Warren had done in Saddleback. And the results were disastrous. So many of these churches that once held to good standards, once preached the gospel, once stood for something, now they stood for nothing. People left their churches, pastors and people got discouraged. These churches folded, the buildings were sold, torn down, turned into housing projects and things. And where there was once a gospel light, in a city, gone. But some of those uh, churches did duplicate what Saddleback did. And they saw thousands of people come. But you don't know the whole story. They got their thousands of people, yes. But they also got a lot of sorrows along with it. A lot of heartaches and heartbreaks. And they had some scandals. Some horrible scandals involved as well. Boy, 
when you go remodeling things that don't need remodeling. You see, at the end of the day, folks, who owns the church? Jesus. The church belongs to Jesus. And we are to model ourselves after His teaching in the Bible. He's given us a Bible that tells us how things are. We are not to model ourselves after the world. Otherwise, I guess we would bring the, uh, the bump and grind team up on the stage, right? If we're trying to model ourselves after the world and build just a crowd, we're to model ourselves after what the Lord tells us. This accusation of the church not being relevant today is a false accusation. And we're not to fall for it. We're not to believe it. If we're following what the Bible says, we stand on firm footing, solid rock. We stand on the Word of God, not on the Word of man. You know something? When Jesus showed Himself, this is God in the flesh. What did the world think? Well, we'll not have this man reign over us. And they crucified him. So let's not be surprised if the world doesn't like the church somehow. That's the way it's been for 2,000 years. Jesus owns the church. So the things that really matter in a church are not to be remodeled into a pattern after this world. They don't need remodeling. Now we need to bring things to a close here today. And I will say this, there is a time and place for remodeling. There is. Remodeling should be done when something old has finally decayed and fallen apart and we have to renew it. Sure, then let's do some remodeling. And this kind of falling apart actually happens in people's lives as well. Not just in a nation or a temple or a church, but in people's hearts and lives for example, what was once a very good Christian life may have slowly been allowed to fall apart. Listen to the Word of God in Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 18. By much slothfulness the building decayeth, and through idleness of hands the house droppeth through. That means all you have to do is nothing. And things will fall apart. And you know that's true with your car, with your home, with your bicycle, and with your heart. All you have to do is nothing. And it happens slowly. I ask you, how is your heart today? Do a little introspection today. Look in your heart today. Is your heart still filled with love for Jesus like it used to be? Do you still get excited about Jesus? You know, a young couple gets married, you can see those little red hearts in their eyes as they look at each other, right? You can hear the violins playing as they, as they are near each other. They want to be around each other. They're in love. They think about each other and talk about each other. And they get married and they just can't believe it. That day is the most wonderful day. Well, advance things 10 years. How do they feel about each other now? Or 15 or 20 years? Are they still in love? 
Do they still have eyes for each other? Do the violins still play or have a couple of strings broken? How is your heart with your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Do you still love Him as much today as you used to? Do you love Him more? How about that? Do you love Jesus more? Examine your heart. How much attention do you give to Jesus every day? And those of you who are married, you remember your dating days. You remember how much attention you used to give each other. hmm? Now, I'm not talking about marriage here. But I'm talking about your relationship with Jesus. When you first came to know Jesus as Savior, you gave Him attention, didn't you? Every day. You thought about Him. You loved Him. You could hardly wait to be in church on Sunday. Oh, it was glory. Get through this week. Sunday's coming. What happened? Whatever happened? Well, whatever happened, happened slowly. We cool slowly, don't we? And then all of a sudden, one day, hey, what happened? We've drifted. I've told you this joke before, but it's a good one. I'll tell you again, if you don't mind. This elderly couple were in their car. And, uh, you know, he was driving and she was sitting there looking out the window. They came up to the stoplight. And they were sitting there. All of a sudden, this hot rod came roaring up beside them. And they had music playing. And the top was down. And there was the guy with his hand on the wheel. And his other hand was around his girl. And she was practically sitting in his lap. And vroom, 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 finally. And she's sitting there and she's looking at this. Herbert, look. Look at them. Just look at them. She said, How can he even drive? She's sitting in his lap. Light turns green. Vroom! That hot rod's gone. Herbert puts the car in the drive and off he goes. And she's sitting there thinking. And she turns to him and says, Herbert, years ago, we used to drive like that. Do you remember? He says, yes. She's thinking. Herbert, how come we don't drive like that? How come we don't do that? And he said, Sweetheart, I haven't moved. And that's what happens. The Lord hasn't moved. But what happened to us? Well, we move a little more. Just a wee bit more. It happens slowly, but we cool off. Now we don't read our Bible as much. We don't love the Lord as much. What happened to our Christian service? You get my point? You see what I'm saying? Maybe what we need is a remodeled job in our hearts. You know, some of you men and women, you go home and you look at you know, the kitchen or the living room and say, oh, you look at the rug. Boy, we could use a new rug, new wallpaper, a new paint job. Boy, we could use new windows, new curtains. Yeah, do a new remodel. This place would look great. Well, in your heart today, could you use a remodel job and come back close with the Lord? And we're talking today about three of the worst remodeling jobs in the Bible. And isn't it sad when believers, born again, men and women, remodel themselves away from the Lord. Laodicea did it. It could happen anywhere at any time. 
Possibly you're here today and you need more than just a remodel job. You need a whole new structure. Well, I have good news for you. In this Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20, the Lord Jesus is standing at your heart's door, knocking, asking to come in. And Jesus is the master remodeler. We read today, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We read that. That was our scripture reading with Brother Howard this morning. We read that. Jesus Christ is the master remodeler. And He will come into your heart and give you a whole new life. He'll take away the burden and the guilt of sin. He'll forgive you. He'll cleanse you. He'll give you a new purpose, a new meaning for life. And He's knocking on your heart's door today. Would you bow your head for prayer? Close your eyes. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.